Heavenly Father, as we come to look at your word tonight, we pray that your spirit would speak to us. We pray, Father, that we might see Jesus, the reconciler of our lives. And we pray that your name would be glorified. Amen. Well, as you can see on the screen, we're in this series in Matthew's Gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Last week we looked at the issue of adultery and this week we're looking at the issue of relationships. It's just one part of a much longer series in Matthew's Gospel. And it's all about the law. And it's all about Jesus' response to that. Because in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus states, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Remember, his disciples that he was speaking to were Jewish people. They were orthodox Jewish followers. So he says, I do not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish it, but to fulfill them. Verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teach of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And this general principle is uh, summarized again in uh, Matthew in chapter 5, verse 48, where he, Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And between these sayings of Jesus comes this teaching concerning divorce as one of the striking illustrations of life's demands. And Jesus says he compares their righteousness compared to that what was demanded by the scribes and Pharisees compared to the higher righteousness demanded by the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching his followers how to see and act within their Jewish law and points out that, in fact, the teachers of the law misinterpret the law quite often. Because later in Matthew's Gospel, we read that Jesus calls these teachers blind and even worse. And a couple of weeks ago, Richard spoke to us concerning how Jesus gave the principles of the law, but now we come to the difficult parts of the practicalities of living within God's plan for humanity. And so tonight we're looking at relationships, relationships between men and women within community. And we're looking at how the Pharisees interpreted the Mosaic laws and God's plan for the way that humanity should live within community. And so if we're followers of Jesus tonight, this is going to be really relevant for us. But it creates problems, of course, and issues, because God's ways are often very different to man's legal legislation and the way we live our lives today. And so in these verses that we've had read to us tonight, we see that Jesus is dealing with issues that cause breakdown within community life. We see he talks about keeping one's word and fidelity within marriage. 
And both of these, of course, are major issues for us today. Because I guess there's hardly a person here tonight who hasn't been affected by relationship breakdown within their own extended family or community. And I want to say right from the beginning that this is a delicate and it's a painful subject. And I know that some of you may well be offended by what I say, but I, have, I too have suffered through relationship breakdowns. Richard, our rector, is available to speak to anyone concerning the subject of divorce and remarriage and the position that this church holds and the position that the Church of England holds because I am not going to talk about marriage and remarriage within the Church of England. However, let's crack on a bit. As we look at these subjects, it's always good to ask ourselves, well, how does this fit in with our cultural situation that we are? Because we're not in, you know, the New Testament Jewish times. Well, it's always good to go to someone who's done some research of this, and there's a chap called Dr. Leach Coleman who's done some research on this, and he gives us this information concerning our society today. He says this, 45% of all marriages end in divorce. And I have to say that since writing this, I heard on Radio 4 News last week that they reckon it's now 50% of all marriages end in divorce. He says that as a result of this and a breakdown of relationships, this affects people's health and mental stability and death rates as well. So it's a major issue. It affects the National Health Service. He says that in 1971, which was when I was starting my A-level course, 8% of households were headed up by a single parent. And I was one of those 8% because my mother had died and we lived just with my father. Moving on to 2018, 25% of households now have single parent leading the family. 25% of all households. And he says that 50% of single, uh, sorry, 90% of single parents are women. So that means only 10%, of course, are led by men. He says there are 1 million children who never see their dads. 1 million children never see their dads. And children of broken relationships, whether that be of marriages or people who cohabit together, struggle more at school and they struggle more with drugs and mental health issues compared to children who are brought up in uh, a stable relationship. And nearly 50% of the children in single-parent families live in poverty. So if you are struggling to bring up your children and you can't pay the rent or the council tax or whatever, how can you give them a stable background? Very, very difficult. So that's the background to the situation that we are in tonight. And so we can see then, I think, that relationship issues are a major issue for us today. 
And I have to say that as we look at those figures, we must add, of course, that the Christian community is a part of these figures as well. So relation issues are really important to us. But what about God's plan? Where does God fit into all of this? Well, the Bible teaches us in Genesis that God created men and women for each other to live fulfilled and good lives. But the fall, as recorded early on in Genesis, interrupts this. It brings disharmony when strife into relationships. But of course, this doesn't mean that God forsakes his plan of marriage and lifelong relationships for humanity. This was to be God's ideal. However, mankind found this very difficult, so God provided help in the form of laws or rules given to the Israelites, the Jewish people, by Moses concerning how their relationships were to be lived within the Jewish community. Now, as with other laws given in the Ten Commandments, the Jewish teachers of the laws interpreted these to help people understand and obey them. And it's these interpretations that Jesus often criticised when the Jewish Pharisees and teachers tried to catch him out in their time with him. And in this case... The laws relating to the breakdown within marriage is what Jesus is referring to in these two passages that we've had read to us tonight. Now, in Jesus' time, there was two rabbinic schools of thought concerning divorce. The first one was by a rabbi, I'm not sure how he pronounces, but I shall say Shamanai, who took a very strict line from the Deuteronomy 24 passage. He said that the only grounds for divorce was for if there'd been a grave matrimonial offence or unseemly or indecent behaviour. And it has to be said that usually referred to the woman in the relationship. And then there was another rabbi who took the sort of completely other end of the spectrum, Rabbi Hillai, and he said that uh, any indecent act could in fact be a really trivial offence. Things like burning the food on the stove, or in fact just getting uh, old and plain compared to younger women around. But you'll note at this stage that... uh, it was only the man in the relationship that could actually file for divorce. So this was the, 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 this was the situation that Jesus was addressing at that time. This is how they understood it. And so, what do we find in these two passages? Well, we see a contrast between Jesus' viewpoint and the rabbi's viewpoint. And what they were really asking him was, which of these two do you agree with? The very strict one or the very lax one? And they were trying to catch him out, of course. So what were the contrasts? Well, there are three main contrasts found in these two passages. The first contrast is that the Pharisees were preoccupied by what were the grounds for divorce, whereas Jesus was much more concerned with the institution of marriage. 
So the Pharisee asks, what cause might a man divorce his wife for? Well, Jesus doesn't answer this, but he asks about their understanding of marriage in the first place. So in chapter 19, verse 4, we read that Jesus says, marriage is is God's divine institution. Secondly, we see that the Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a command. Jesus called it a concession to the hardness of human heart. The Pharisees, in fact, disregard what the scriptures had said in Deuteronomy uh, 24. Because the thrust of the teaching in Deuteronomy 24 is a prohibition on the remarriage of one's own divorced partner. The reasoning being is if her defilement was so great to lead to divorce, then it must be so great to prevent taking her back into that relationship. But in this passage in Deuteronomy, there's no comment to the husband, uh, there's no command to divorce his wife, or in fact any encouragement to do so. The only reference is to the necessary procedures if a divorce takes place. So, Jesus implied it wasn't a divine instruction, a law, but rather a concession to human weakness. And then thirdly, the third contrast. We see that the Pharisees regarded divorce lightly where Jesus took it seriously. And so that Jesus says there's only one exception about why there should be a divorce. And that was the exception of adultery, fornication, or unnatural sexual acts. Now, this passage that we've got in front of us is quite hard to understand. And so a commentator called Stonehouse made a paraphrase of this passage. I'd like like to read it out to you because I think it helps us to see what he's saying. He says this of this passage. You have heard of the appeal of the Jewish teachers to Deuteronomy 24 in the interest of substantiating a policy which permits husbands freely at their own pleasure to divorce their wives, simply by providing them with a duly attested document of the transaction. But Jesus says that such irresponsible behaviour on the part of the husband will lead to him and his wife and their second partners into unions which are not marriages but adultery. And to this general principle, there is one exception, where, where divorce and remarriage are possible without breaking the seventh commandment. And that is when within the marriage there's already been broken by some serious sexual sin. And here lies the problem, doesn't it, for many of us. Because Jesus' teaching goes against modern family law concerning divorce, which is usually based upon marriage irretrievable breakdown or unreasonable behaviour rather than a serious sexual sin. But what we see here is that Jesus allows for divorce because of the hardness of human hearts. But I think we need to see this in the context of God's nature to forgive and his plans of marriage. Because throughout the Old Testament, we see God wanting a relationship with his people. 
He really wants a covenant relationship with them. With them. He made a covenant with them, which they broke by their sinful action. So we read in Hosea chapter 2 that God shows he is willing to forgive his people and to bring them back into relationship with him. And in verse 14 of that chapter, we see God as a divine lover who wants to woo back the adulterous nation of Israel to himself. In other words, what we're seeing here is that the God is a God of reconciliation. And as we look forward to the New Testament, we see Jesus is the fulfillment of this. He gives his life on the cross so that all people can come to him and come into a forgiven relationship with God. And so, as we consider divorce, rather than concentrate upon what can cause it or what are the excuses for it, Surely we should be looking, rather, that Jesus teaches us to look for ways of forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, some of you will have heard of the famous church of All Souls Langham Place in central London. And uh, a very famous rector of that church for 30 years, John Stott, says this about divorce. He says, marital breakdown is always a tragedy. It contradicts God's will and frustrates his purpose. It brings to husbands and wives the acute pains of alienation, disillusion, reclamation and guilt, and and precipitates to any children of the marriage a crisis of bewilderment, insecurity and often anger. So that any remarriage, therefore, places under, takes place under the shadow of a broken covenant. And he goes on to say this, in his pastoral capacity, he says, I was never prepared to discuss divorce with a couple until we talked about God's plan of marriage and reconciliation within it. Then we can talk about divorce. But he goes on to say, that after having done that with couples, it isn't often necessary. But where does this leave us as a community of believers? How are we to live and act towards those that have suffered breakdowns in relationships and marriage? Well, we can recognise, can't we, that this is not a new thing. It's been going on within communities, um, even if today it is more frequent. Within our society, we, we recognise, don't we, that we've got a rising proportion of children who don't have role models of secure marriages. So as a church, as a community of believers, we can continue to teach the biblical principles of marriage for life, living out the command to love one's neighbour as oneself, the sanctity of sexual activity within marriage. Within the context of a media-filled world of sexual freedom, let us continue to teach and remind ourselves the biblical principles of sexual activity uh, is to be found only within marriage. We can carry on, of course, as many churches do, to to have, uh, have 
courses that lead for marriage preparation. We can recognise, though, also that we live in an age where we are living longer and therefore marriages have to be for longer so we can offer support and prayer and care within the community. We can recognise and we should recognise and acknowledge that we are part of the Christian community because Jesus died to take all our sins, including relationship breakdowns on the cross. We have all sinned. We've all been redeemed and saved and changed by Jesus and his Holy Spirit. So within the church community, let us have a welcoming, forgiving, reconciling attitude towards those that have suffered relationship breakdowns, that Jesus forgives, and so should we, without condoning unfaithful relationships. Of course, this puts the church at a difficult task because the church should and does bear witness to the divine will of permanency in marriage, but also preaches the gospel of grace and forgiveness. There is no simple way of resolving this tension between the two things. We need firmness and gentleness, general principles and individual flexibility. We can find things that look like rules in the Bible and go hunting for them. But the scripture itself pushes us beyond rules to wisdom. And the only wisdom we can ask for is that that's informed by God's word and motivated by God's compassion and empowered by God's spirit that he will equip us for what I believe God wants us to do to assert the sanctity of marriage and to demonstrate compassion for those where his marriages have died and those that are seeking to build a new life with the blessing of God and the support and prayers of the people of God. So that's a quite a difficult part of these verses, isn't it? The teaching of Jesus on divorce. But what about the second part of this short passage, verses 33 to 38? Well, we see the second relationship issue here, the making of an oath to back up the reliability of our words. Incidentally, of course, this is what marriage ceremony is actually all about, isn't it? The Pharisees and the rabbis were permissive in this as well, in their teaching concerning oaths, because the oaths that they're talking about are those in which the speaker calls upon God to witness their vow and to punish them if they break it. Moses emphasizes the evil of false swearing and the duty of performing to the Lord one's oath. Here are four examples for you. I'm not going to read them all through, but you can see they come from various books of the Old Testament. But all of them prohibit false swearing or perjury, making a vow and breaking it. Well, the Pharisees, of course, in their wisdom, try to restrict the vow by moving attention from the vow itself to the formula used in making it. They said false swearing meant profanity, the profane use of God's name, and not the dishonest pledging of one's word. So they made complicated rules for the taking of vows, which formulas were permissible and which ones weren't. 
One didn't have to keep the vows. For instance, they said, made without God's name included. Well, Jesus again condemns this. In Matthew 23, we read, he says this to the Pharisees, Woe to you, blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And so Jesus condemns making formulas and what the Pharisees says. But the real implication of this is that what Jesus is saying is that we must keep our promises and be people of our word. So vows become unnecessary. We see this in verse 34. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything else comes out of our heart of deceit. And so, if divorce is due to human hardness of heart, swearing, is due, swearing oaths is due to human untruthfulness, both permitted by the law, but neither commended, and nor should be necessary. And so what Jesus is teaching here is that we should be honest men and women. We do not need to resort to oaths, but we don't have to refuse to use them. So let's say what we mean and mean what we say. Our unadorned word should be enough, yes or no. Now, as you can see, these verses are difficult for us because how can we have the expectation of living by Jesus' teaching? Well, surely not in our own strength or wisdom, but by the help and power of the Holy Spirit. And even when relationships break down, when disaster strikes, we can know that God is still the same, still wants a relationship with his people, and that Jesus died to take the punishment for all wrongdoing. We have a God who longs to be in relationship and wants to restore us back into that. We have a God who helps us to reconciliation through the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, not by our might or striving to be holy. Now all of us here tonight will have experienced some form of relationship breakdown as uh, Jason was speaking last week, whether that be small scale or from anger or on a large scale from something like marriage breakdown. Well, I'm going to invite you now as we finish to take a time for reflection and perhaps prayer because it is a difficult subject. But we need to be clear that Jesus offers us forgiveness and reconciliation. So let's pray maybe for ourselves. Maybe you know someone who's going through a very difficult time of relationship breakup. So let's just spend some moments in prayer silently. Amen.